Well, good morning and happy Easter. And it's my privilege and blessing to be able to uh, celebrate Easter Sunday with you. Um, I'm blessed and privileged to be the lead pastor here with Living Church, if you're new to us this morning. Um, and we're thankful. We don't take it lightly that you chose to get up on a Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, and spend Easter morning with Living Church. So thank you for being here. Thank you for be- being part of us this morning. Um, we're blessed as a church. We have so many gifted, different people, part of our church family, one whom is to my right, John Taylor, who's um, a professional painter who's painting for us this morning, part of our Living Church family. We have incredible gifted musicians who, who play every week for us. And, and in a moment, you're going to hear a couple stories uh, from our Living Church family. But before they come and share their stories, you know, Easter, as you know, is a special time of year for many of us, a special time of year for those part of the church. It's that part of the church calendar where we give special attention um, to the reality that the tomb is empty because Jesus is alive. Christ is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. But you know, I was thinking about this, and I've grown up in the church all my life, and I don't know how many times I've heard the Easter story communicated, um, whether it be via children's books, what flannel graph, whatever it might be, video, TV, you name it. I've, I've seen the Easter story. I've heard the Easter story. And as I was thinking about it, sometimes, you know, the question that I want to ask us this morning, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about Easter? I mean, why all the fuss? Right? What's the big deal that Jesus died on a cross on Good Friday, was in a tomb, dead, and then came back to life three days later? I mean, what's the big deal of all that? Why is that so important? Now, I know some of you are right now, you, you're rehearsing the answer because you know the answer historically. You know the answer biblically. You, you know it. You could recite it. And you may even know the answer theologically. And you've heard it maybe countless times like I have. But the question is, what's the big deal? Does the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ make a difference personally? Does it make a difference for you? I don't care whether you've grown up in church all your life. I don't care what church you were part of when you were younger, whether you were baptized, took communion, you were an infant baby, whatever. I don't care, growing up in a Baptist church, whatever, any kind of church. I just want you to ask yourself this question. What difference right now is the death and resurrection of Jesus making in my life personally? Right now. Does it make a difference personally? In a moment, we're going to hear from two individuals from our living church family, Tom Sims and Angie Roberts. And we've invited them to share their stories this morning because... We believe that when you hear their stories, we're going to be reminded that Easter's a big deal. And we're going to be reminded that, yes, Jesus' death and resurrection does make a difference for you personally, personally for those who believe. So I'm going to ask Tom to come, if you would, and share his story with us this morning. Thank you, Mark. Good morning, everyone. As Mark said, I'm here to share my story but the reason I'm sharing it is because it really isn't my story. It's God's story, what he did in my life, and why I'm standing here today. Um, it, it's not something that's easy to share, but that's why I share it. Um, I grew up in a home that faith wasn't a part of my life. God wasn't something that, um, that happened, that we did. Church wasn't a big deal. It wasn't something that was a part of my life. My mom was a believer. 
Uh, my dad wasn't. My dad actually never wanted to have kids, and he wanted to make sure that I knew that my whole life. As um, many dads would do, they maybe would just get tired of that and leave, but he never grew tired of it. He wanted to make sure that I knew no one wanted me, that I was a mistake, that I wasn't supposed to be here. And so day after day, week after week, year after year, he put in my brain, I don't want you. No one wants you. You're not supposed to be here. And I lived that way um, my entire childhood. That was what happened. That was my life. That was everything I knew. That was what I owned. And so to make it through life and to function, I became really good at faking everything. I became a shell of a person that the inside of me was long dead and broken. And all I knew how to do was fake my way through everything. So as everyone who's really good at faking stuff does, I became a professional wrestler. Which that's not a joke. When, when I was 18, that, that's really what I did. <laughs> and for six months, that's fake punches. That, that's where I got my mic skills from, if you were wondering. Um, that was what I did for, for a while. But the pain didn't go away. And I only had to hide it more and more because suddenly I'm building these intimate friendships with, with other wrestlers. And, I didn't ever want them to know who I really was because inside of me was just brokenness, just deadness, just nothing. Um, because all I thought in life was no one wanted me. So I, I just couldn't keep it going anymore, and I quit that. And so adding to all my problems and pain, and now I have a failed career. And at that point, 19 years old, I just couldn't take it anymore. My dad was still in my life, still feeding this to me, that I wasn't valuable, I wasn't important, no one cared if I was here or not. And to me, that was true. That's all I knew. And I decided um, one day in, in a deep depression that I had to take my own life. There was no one who would care, and that's what I had to do. What my dad said must be true. And so because I, I'm really analytical and numbers-based, I decided I would do it on my 20th birthday because I thought that would make the tombstone look really cool. Um, <laughs> That, that's interesting that you laughed. <laughs> um, so 19, I, my birthday was, was still a few months away. It's actually now, uh, so I was going to take my life on my 20th birthday. Uh, I'll be celebrating my 29th birthday in a few days, so spoiler alert, it didn't happen. Um, but my mom, sensing the gravity of what was going on, just asked if I would make a decision to meet with a pastor. And so many of you know him, Andre Roosh, met with me on August 31st, 2005, at the Buffalo Wild Wings in front of Fort Wright Walmart. It, to, to horribly date me, it was just built then. Um, and we met there at lunch at 11 a.m., uh, and he talked to me. And I'd never met this man before, and he began sharing and talking. And what he shared with me wasn't a normal gospel presentation, I, I have to believe, because he didn't know anything about me, and I certainly wasn't going to tell him anything. So I have to believe that the Holy Spirit led him to tell me about a Jesus who could give me life and give me wholeness and fullness. And somewhere in the conversation he said, and you have to know, God will never leave you. And I felt this surge, it, I won't say it was necessarily a good feeling or a bad feeling, it was just electricity in my body, 
signifying to me that that was true, that no matter what happened, God was not going to stop pursuing me until I surrendered to him. And so with tears in my eyes, I just said, I surrender. I accept. And Andre, I'm sure he led me in some type of sinner's prayer. I don't remember that because all I remember is thinking, I feel what hope feels like now. I feel what value feels like now. And it was the first time I ever felt that. And I, I went home and I told my mom, I've decided to follow Jesus. I didn't know it was a song then. I just happened to say those words. <laughs> and since then, I've felt what hope feels like every day. I feel what grace feels like every day. I feel what life feels like every day. And certainly it isn't easy to forget all that, that happens. Uh, those of you who have participated in my teaching know that I remember basically everything. Uh, that doesn't erase my childhood. I certainly remember it all. But I've learned how to overwrite it with scripture and memorizing the text and teaching the text and learning the text because it's the only thing that helps. And um, I encourage all of you to experience surrender to Jesus. And I encourage you as well to hear Angie speak and share her story. Angie. So I, I want to start by saying I have never heard his testimony. And the parallels, they're like I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm just repeating what Tom said. Um, and I was going to start mine off saying that this is not my story, this is God's story. That's so funny. So most of you know me. And if you don't, I'm Angie Roberts. I'd like to share a story today about a God who redeems. He loves each of us so much that he was willing to drip each and every drop of his precious blood to give us life. My life started out pretty normal. I had a stay-at-home mom, lived in a nice, quiet neighborhood, went to a nice little school with lots of friends, church on Sundays, lots of good memories. At the end of my second grade year, I was eight years old, my mom sat me and my brother and my sister down to tell us that she was leaving my dad. She had reunited with an old high school sweetheart. Our lives were about to be turned upside down. Our secure lives unraveled very quickly. My stepdad was a heavy drinker, and so my mom began to do so as well. I do not judge them for this, because that would be me without Christ. They both had to work to make ends meet. When they weren't at work, they were at the bar. When they weren't at the bar or at work, they were fighting and screaming at each other in a drunken state. Sometimes ending in physical fights, a lot of times ending with the police being called. I can't tell you how many times I would be out walking the streets at 2 o'clock in the morning with my mom because she would not press charges and they could not do anything, so my mom would take me and leave. Again, I do not judge her for this because I believe that I would be doing worse if it wasn't for Christ. I didn't know anything other than this life, so I thought it was normal family stuff. As time went on, the abuse started. A lot of emotional abuse and other abuse that I won't specify due to youngsters in the room. It's an abuse that no child should have to endure. It started with family members. If it wasn't family members, it was friends of family. If it wasn't friends, then neighbors, and if not neighbors, then teachers. It felt like a curse that followed me around. I'm sorry. As you can imagine, this left me feeling very empty and worthless. I began drinking at the age of 12. I was an alcoholic by 14. I developed an eating disorder. I did drugs, but alcohol was my choice escape. I made others believe that I was happy by pasting that fake smile on, but the truth was I was miserable and completely empty on the inside, just an empty shell. 
I had lots of drinking buddies and so-called friends, but I felt a loneliness that I would not wish on my worst enemy. I drank alcohol because it was the only time I could escape the emptiness. Others saw me as fun, crazy, and happy, but at the end of the day, I was faced with the truth. I would often cry myself to sleep. I met Todd when I was 19, and he became one of my favorite drinking buddies. We would occasionally go to his parents' house, who were Christians, and I had not had much exposure to Christians at that time. Todd's mom would drive me absolutely batty. She was so joyfully happy all the time, and it annoyed the snot out of me. <laughs> I mean, come on. Who can be that happy all the time? I told myself it was not real, she was just a fake. But it was a constant happiness and it drove me crazy. Sometimes when we were there, she would get to talking about something and I would ask a question and she would say, let's see what the Bible has to say about that. And she would lead me down this hallway to her house and I would roll and I would, I would follow and I would just be rolling my eyes the whole time. She would open up her Bible and I remember I'd always find it interesting whatever she had to say, even though I would never have admit, admitted that out loud. Little did I know that she was planting seeds. My life got to a point of such darkness and emptiness that I really just wanted it to end. I so wished that I could die. I had a thought, there has got to be more than this. Maybe, just maybe I should give this God a try. I mean, I'm desperate, right? So I called Todd's parents at the crack of dawn because I thought all church-going people got up with the roosters. True story. And I asked if I could go to church with them. They, of course, said yes, and after church, they took me to lunch. During lunch, Polly asked if I'd be willing to go through a Bible study with her. I felt like a deer in the headlights. And I was thinking, back the truck up, you crazy lady. I do not want to be a Bible thumper like you. But instead, I just smiled and I said, sure. Though I was praying for a way out of it to a God I did not serve. So Polly and her sister Shirley began to drive 45 minutes to my house once a week to lead me through this Bible study. It did not take long for God's word to change my heart. I will never forget the day that I sat at the copying machine in the office of the factory that I worked at, and I told God that I had no idea what or how to do this, but I wanted to follow him, because if he could give his life for a mess up as big as me, and by this point in my life I had done some pretty terrible, unspeakable things, and if he could love me in spite of myself, then I wanted him in my life. God's word told me that Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, how cool is that? My life forever changed. The emptiness was completely gone, and I experienced a love, joy, and peace that I didn't even know existed. I became one of those annoying, joyful people. <laughs> truly, I did. I truly felt happiness for the first time. And the truth is, before Christ, I didn't even know what I was missing because I had never had it. I was always searching for something to fill that hole I had inside. I know not everyone has the same experiences as me, but we all do seek that thing that fulfills us, even those who seem to have it all, family, house, cars, job, money, there's still that void, that thing that seems to be missing that you keep searching for. It's Christ. He fills us up. He redeems. He comes for the broken, and the truth is we're all broken. Some more broken than others, but Christ fills every void in our lives. Um, I'm a picture kind of person, and I've always had this picture um, in my head of what um, he did for me, and I wanted to share it. Um, so I don't think I've ever shared it with anybody, but you're going to get insight inside the inside of my brain. Um, you can even close your eyes if you, if you want to get a good visual of this. But imagine, if you will, the most disgraceful, disgusting, hideous thing you have ever seen. It's hard to make out what it even is. It's kind of balled up on the ground. It's actually a girl, but she thinks of herself as so much less. Imagine, if you will, this thing on the corner of a street, life just passing her by as everyone else is just living life. 
So she or it is completely empty, lonely, but most of all desperate. Desperate for someone, anyone, to just stop for a second to pay some attention. Desperate for love, desperate for friendship, desperate for just a second of your time. She's willing to do just about anything for just a single moment of your attention. Occasionally, someone would stop, and she would do unspeakable things just for a chance that perhaps this person would care. People could spit on it, mock it, curse it. She didn't mind. After all, isn't that all she was worth? Once the deed was done or the person no longer had use of it, they would continue on their merry way. Then one day there appeared these feet. There was something so different about these feet. She tried to look up to see who or what this was, but there was a bright blinding light. She asked, what can I do for you? A voice came back and said, it's I that would like to do something for you. Well, what do I have to do to get it? Absolutely nothing. And then she sees this extended hand. I don't understand, she says. Just take my hand and I will show you. But I'm afraid. <clears throat> Sorry. I understand that you're afraid. But if you could just trust me and take my hand, then and only then can I show you and things will become clear. The empty, lonely thing looked at the extended hand and thought, it can't be any worse than anything else I've been through. Though scared, she took his hand. Something so utterly, unimaginably incredible happened. Words can never describe the most miraculous, most breathtaking moment. She felt this love that made her tremble yet rejoice. She felt this hope, this joy, this impossible peace. She felt her deflated self being breathed into with life, real, true life. She will never forget that first breath of life. It brought her to her feet for the first time that she can remember. She was so overwhelmed that you had never felt so strong, so steady, so sure, sure that it was actually going to be okay. She began to look around and see things that she had never seen before, colors that were so beautiful. They weren't really colors, though. They were feelings or emotions. She wasn't even quite sure what they were. But it was the things that she had, these things she had no understanding of before now. It was hope, faith, joy, peace, friendship, truth, and love. She will never forget the love. It was the most beautiful color of all. As she was experiencing these things, she remembered the feet, the extended hand. And she began to ask questions, so many questions. He answered them just as quickly as she asked them, and with each answer, that light that was so bright, too bright to even look at, began to become dimmer, and the fuzziness began to become clear, and the face, oh, if only I could describe to you this face. It became clear and clear, and it was the most beautiful, kind face you will ever see, with the most clear, honest eyes, and she knew, she knew that this face and these hands and these feet, these beautiful feet, would never leave her would never hurt her, would never ask things of her that would leave her feeling empty inside. She knew that he loved her, truly loved her for who she was right then and there. The wretched person that she was with no expectations, just come as you are. He took this girl and began to do the unimaginable. Thank you. He began cleaning her up, turning her into something so beautiful, something she never could have imagined herself to be. It was him shining through her that gave her self-worth for the first time. 
The more time she spent with him, the more she understood who he was and who she wanted to be. She wanted to be like him. And with his help, she could be like him. Who is this man? Who is this that can change you from the inside out and make the ugliest of ugly shine so bright? His name is Jesus. One thing that she's discovered on this journey is if she does not spend time with him on a regular basis, his face begins to become fuzzy. The longer she goes without having that one-on-one time with him by spending time with him in prayer or being in his word, the Bible, which is, by the way, his breath being breathed into you, the longer she goes without these things, the fuzzier his face becomes. Now, that does not mean that he will let go of her hand because he will never let go of your hand once you've given him yours. But his face can become a bit fuzzy and you can lose sight of what's important to you and to him. But then the moment she turns back and begins spending that time with him again, it's like, oh yeah, there's that face. There's that truth, that hope. His name is Jesus. So that's the picture. And Jesus can and will transform your life if you only trust him, surrender all your fears, your hurts, your pride. If you want to experience a love that will blow your socks off, a joy that will annoy people, not because you're annoying, but because they long for the same joy and a peace that truly passes all understanding, then just give Jesus your hand. The cool thing is it's not even a thing where you have to meet him halfway. He's standing right there with his hand extended. All you have to do is take it. If you surrender, you too will know this impossible love, hope, and sacrifice. He gave everything, including his life, so that you can have life, true life. And I promise you it will be the most incredible breath you have ever taken. deal about Easter. Does it make a difference personally? Does the reality of Jesus dying on a cross and coming back to life make a difference? As you listen to Tom and Angie share their stories, what, what did you hear? What were some of the things that, that captured your heart this morning? A couple of things that I heard this morning was one that it wasn't until they surrendered. You heard them both use that word, surrender. It wasn't until they surrendered to Jesus that that forgiveness, that emptiness, that cleansing, that hope, that peace was received. It wasn't earned. It was simply received just accepted. I mean, something else that I heard was that surrendering to Christ, believing His death and resurrection was for you, not only has huge implications for your destination beyond this life, but has incredible implications for your everyday life now. Now. 2,000 years ago, a prominent church leader named the Apostle Paul, some of you are familiar with his name, wrote a letter, and he wrote a letter to a community of Christians who possibly were gathering in a home, and in this letter that he wrote to them, he communicated to them that Easter's a big deal, that the believing that Jesus died on the cross and came back to life is a big deal. 
And in that letter, I just want to read to you what he had to say, just a few statements that he had to say about how Easter's a big deal. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Think about the impact of that statement for a moment. If Christ is not raised, then where is he? He's dead. He's dead. He's not alive, not alive right now. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and what we're doing this morning is absolutely useless and meaningless. It's empty. If Christ has not been raised, he says, you are still in your sins. Think about that for a moment. If you and I are still in our sins, what does that communicate? It means that we're sinners. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Now, I don't think I need to convince most of us in this room that we're sinners, but I know what I have to convince myself of, and maybe you have to do this too, is just how horrific your sin is. Because what we tend to do is compare our sins with the person on our right or our left or on TV, the news, whatever it might be, and we compare ourselves with them. They become the standard, so then we think we're not that bad. Sure, I'm a sinner, but I'm not that bad of a sinner. But the standard for our sin is not the person that lives next door to you or the person that you read about on the news. The standard of holiness, the standard we're to reach is the standard of the holiness of God himself, the righteousness of Christ. And if the sentence for our sin equals the magnitude of our sin, think about the sentence for a moment. The sentence of our sin required God to send His Son, perfect Son, to this earth to die a bloody death on an excruciating cross. That's a pretty incredible sentence for our sin, my sin. And so if the sentence was God sending His own perfect Son to die on a cross, a bloody death, that should tell you just how horrific our sins are, my sins are, and yours. And so if we're still in our sins, it means we're sinners. And if it means we're sinners, then it means that we're separated from God, as the Scriptures tell us in Isaiah chapter 59. We're separate from God. If Christ isn't alive, you and I are still in our sins. We are separate from God, no relationship, no reconciliation, no hope, They're still empty. The stories you heard, they're still empty. There's no life. There's no light. There's no forgiveness. Nothing new. No hope. No peace. We're still separated from God. And if we're still in our sins, then that means that ultimately our separation from God is experienced in a place called hell. And again, if the sentence for our sin is to equal the magnitude or tells us the magnitude of our sin, and if the sentence for our sin is ultimately hell, let that reveal to you just how horrific your sin is and how horrific my sin is. And ultimately, then, if we're still in our sins, then, as Paul wrote in another letter, we're without hope, we're without peace, we're without God, we're empty, the guilt is overwhelming, There's no new life. There's no new identity. And some of you here this morning, that's you. That describes you. 
In fact, that describes all of us if Christ has not been raised from the dead. That's the bad news, if you will. If we're still in our sins, then we are still separate from God, ultimately with our sentence and our judgment being hell without hope. Man, we need Jesus alive. I need him alive. And here's the great part. Listen to what Paul said. He says this. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And then verse 20, he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is alive. And because he is alive, that means life. That means hope. That means forgiveness. That means peace. That means new. That means you matter because he's alive. That's why they call it the gospel, right? Because the gospel means good news. We need Jesus because we are sinners separate from God. We need Jesus, and we need him alive. And because Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, and listen to some of this, because he's been raised from the dead, that means the payment, the judgment, the hell you and I deserve for our sins was paid for by Christ on the cross. That his blood shed was the payment for your sins and mine. And the resurrection reveals that that payment was received. It was accepted by the Father. And because of that, because Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, you can be forgiven of your sins. There is peace with God available to you. There is new. There is light. There is hope because Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. You don't have to be separate from God anymore because of Christ taking that punishment for you. He brings you near to God. Relationship never to leave. Never to leave. There is a way out. You don't have to stay still in your sins. Jesus is the way out. Jesus is the way. And because he has indeed been raised from the dead, Hebrews 10 even tells us that the guilt that you feel from your past, clean, gone, gone, clean. He died for that too. He paid for that too. The guilt wiped away, Hebrews 10, 1 and 2. Because he's been raised from the dead. And because he has indeed been raised from the dead, you don't earn forgiveness you receive forgiveness. You heard both of them mention it in their stories. I just, I just surrendered. It wasn't like, okay, go to church ten times and then you'll be forgiven or take this, do this, be baptized. No, it's just I simply receive Jesus. I receive him and his forgiveness. It's not by works of righteousness. It's not by trying to be a good dad, a good mom, being better than the next guy, being successful. What my, No, it's by simply receiving the free gift of grace and forgiveness that Jesus paid for on the cross. And if Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, then even though you and I are unrighteous in our sin, He, because He paid for it, gives you His righteousness so that you will one day stand in the presence of God righteous because of Him. 
And if you're in Christ this morning, that is who you are now. Now. You may not feel it, but that's who you are now. That's what he died for, to make you that now, to give you that now. Peace, forgiveness, cleansing, righteousness. And because Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, Romans 8.1 and Romans 5.1 tells us there is no condemnation for those who in Christ are in Christ Jesus. And some of you, you're Christians and you just keep beating yourself up over and over and over again. That's not you anymore. That's why Jesus died. You're not condemned. He doesn't condemn you because he paid for that condemnation. He took that condemnation for you on the cross. And you are at peace with God. And God is at peace with you because of Christ and what he's done for you and because he's alive. And because Christ has been raised from the dead, it means you have new life. Your identity is not wrapped up in who you are, in the sense of what you do for a living, how good of a dad you are. It's not wrapped up in in your gender or your sexual preference. It's not wrapped up in any of that. Your identity, when you come in Christ, is wrapped up in who Jesus is and all that he is in you. That's where your identity comes from. You don't try to find your identity. You receive it from Christ and who he is. He becomes your identity. No longer do I love, but Christ lives in me, he says. And it means also because Christ is raised from the dead that just as Jesus rose again, he is going to come, and we sang about earlier, and those who are in Christ, he will come and take you with him. You will live with him because you belong to him. And here's the beautiful part. Because Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, and it's all beautiful, he makes you new for those who by faith receive him, He makes you new, and you know what it does? Because Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, it says he loves you. He he loves you. Why would he do this? Why would God do that? Why would God send his own son to this earth to die on a cross, a bloody death, to take the punishment you and I deserve for our sins against him, and then raise him again three days later? Why would he do that? Here's why. Because he really, really wants to save you. Because he really, really wants to make you new. Because he really, really loves you. And because he really, really wants to make you who he created you to be in the beginning. And because he really, really wants you to be with him. That's why he loves you. And if you are trusting in anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ, you're not trying You're trying to earn forgiveness. And Jesus says, no, that's religion. Religion is you earn forgiveness. Jesus says, no, you don't earn it. I give it. I paid for it. You just receive it. You receive it. Easter is a big deal. Easter is a big deal. The death and resurrection of Christ and believing in Christ and who he is and what he's done for us is a big deal. Does it make a difference personally? We hear two stories this morning. Absolutely. The question is, does it make a difference for you personally? Is Christ, death and resurrection, making a difference for you personally? Maybe you're here and your heart resonates with Tom and Angie's stories. Maybe you're here and you're going, man, I, I can relate. And maybe like Tom and Angie, you're like, you know, I, too, realize I need to surrender. I've been trying to earn it, 
And I just need to surrender this morning. I need to surrender to Jesus. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he came back to life for me to give me new life. And today, I want to surrender. I surrender today. And like Tom said, I'm deciding to follow Jesus. And he didn't even know it was a song. He just knew exactly what Jesus did. And he just surrendered. And you say, well, what do I do? The Bible tells us, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What do I need to do? Nothing. Jesus did it all for you. You just simply receive him. You accept him. That's what Tom said too. And Angie, I just accepted it. I just, I just accepted it. Believe you need to be saved. Believe Christ's death was for you. Believe his resurrection was to give you the new life that he came to give you. Call out to him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You just simply receive. You simply accept his forgiveness provided for you by his death and resurrection. Listen, Jesus is saying something to every person in this room this morning. What's he saying to you? What's he saying to me? And if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, you've already decided to follow Jesus before you walked in here this morning. Is there anything in your life that's revealing to others that you believe that Jesus is alive? Maybe some of you have been followers of Jesus and you've never been baptized. You've never been publicly made it known, yes, I'm following Jesus. Jesus has saved me. In a few weeks, we're going to have baptism. What a beautiful time to publicly declare that, yes, I have decided to follow Jesus. I encourage you to consider that. In a moment, we're going to participate in communion. And we're going to have an opportunity to respond to Jesus this morning as we take communion together. The, the bread symbolizes Christ's body that was broken for us on the cross. And the cup symbolizes his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And for those of you that you're followers of Jesus, you've repented of your sins, and when you take communion this morning, thank him. You are free this morning. You are forgiven. You are at peace with God. You are new. You are righteous. You are alive because of Christ this morning. You are no longer condemned. He is, his presence, his spirit is with you. Thank him for all that he has made you because of what he done for he, he did for you. But maybe there's a, some of you here today and you're saying, today I came in separate from God, but I realize today I need to surrender to God. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and came back to life to make me new. And today, like Tom and Angie, I am deciding to follow Jesus. I am surrendering to him today. I'm calling on him to be my savior. If that's you this morning, we want you to participate in communion as well. And listen, some of you have grown up in church all your life and never surrendered. You can say it theologically, you can say it biblically, you know it historically, but you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ. He makes no difference in your life personally because you've never surrendered. If today you're saying, I'm surrendering, I'm deciding to follow Jesus, I'm calling on him to be my Savior today. When you take communion, there's some books on the table, a couple small books. We encourage you, if today you are deciding to follow Jesus, to take him as your Savior this morning, we want to encourage you to just write your name in one of those books. There's nothing magical or supernatural that happens when you sign your name in a book. But it's just a simple way to say, today is the day I am following Jesus. I'm surrendering to him. I'm taking him as my own. What's Jesus saying to you this morning?
Is Easter a big deal? Absolutely. Listen, Jesus is alive right now. He is alive. And because he is alive, we can live too. I'm going to pray. And in a moment, the band's going to play. And as they're playing, and you sense your heart is ready to take communion, just as we do typically here on a, with Living Church, just make your way to one of the back tables, take off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and partake. And if you're here, and today is the day that you're deciding to follow Jesus, we encourage you to make that known by signing in the book. Father, thank you. Thank you for your gift of forgiveness, your gift of grace. Thank you that it's not something we have to earn. It's something that you paid for on our behalf. And Father, I pray that if there are people here this morning, regardless of their background, how they grew up, I pray that if they're here and they know they need to surrender, that right now in the quietness of this moment, in their heart, they would call out to you and simply say, I surrender. Come to me, Lord Jesus. And for those, Father, that are here and they've, they're following you, but the death and resurrection of Jesus just has kind of gone, gone cold for them. I pray that you would reignite that fire, that flame, and that they would call out in gratitude this morning for, for your salvation to them. They would realize who they really are in you and all that you've made them to be because of Christ. And as we celebrate your supper, your table, move in us this morning. May your spirit move and may we see those who walked in today, maybe dead in their sins, walk out alive in Christ. Because, Lord Jesus, you indeed have been raised. You are alive. Amen.